Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. If you are, the title of my message is Habitually Ever After. Habitually Ever After. Um, my, uh, my daughter, uh, Tegan, turned 14, actually last Sunday. Um, so happy birthday, Tegan. Boom, right there. Oh, wearing a birthday flannel. Way to go. Um, and, uh, you know, this means that there's all sorts of teenage things that she's sort of tiptoeing into right now, one of which is her love of romantic comedies. And uh, anybody else remember just falling in love with romantic comedies at 14, guys? Um, anybody else? Okay, yeah, just uh, maybe a few of you and uh, some liars in here. And so, like, I, she loves them. And she's like, I'm, I'm telling you, she's gone back, like, you know, and gone through the archives, right, and just can't get enough. And I was texting her yesterday, I was like, because um, this is how you know you have a teenager, you text them even though they're in the next room, right? Because that's, that's a surefire way to have a real conversation over text. And so I was like, babe, what are your favorite romantic comedies? And uh, she was like, oh, I don't know, because you know, there's so many, right, to narrow it down. And so she sent me a couple titles because she couldn't narrow it down to one. This is what she came up with on short notice. Uh, she identified 27 Dresses and Sweet Home Alabama. Have anybody else seen these movies right here? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, amazing, great. Uh, I've seen both of these with my daughter, I think more than once, actually. And uh, one of the things that this makes it very clear is just how unique they are. You know what I mean? Uh, for instance, um, not all of them have the same cover, uh, f- like with a woman standing with like, mm, with the sassy, with the both hips, and you got to put the one foot forward so that you get the right hip to waist ratio in the photo. And so these are like two of her favorites, but I mean, she could probably go on and on, and I'm sure there are other hip-holding DVD covers that we could reference today. But um, one of the things that's fun about this is because she's not really experienced a lot of these before, is like watching her watch something. Don't you love that? Like watching someone else take something in that you know, but they they don't know. And it's kind of fun watching them or experiencing it through their eyes. And I love watching her, like the way she comes alive with the will they, won't they? Because she hasn't seen enough of these to know they always will, okay? It's not really that complicated, right? It's like, oh, is it gonna work out? Yes, it is. It always does, right? Because all of these movies sort of in the same way, right? It takes you on this whole roller coaster ride. And then at the very end, they both realize they're men for one another, okay? And they commit their undying love to one another, right? And, and then most of these movies end with like a confession of love or with a wedding, right? If you're lucky, right? And if you're really lucky, then at the end of the credits, they have the dance-off scene, right? At the wedding, right? That's what we wait for in my house. Um, because this is the way that, that like uh, most movies work for us, right? And I always wonder like when we're watching these because... Um, I'm not a teenage girl. Some of you are like, what? Um, No. I'm a 40-something man um, who's been married for a long time. The thing that pops into my head right as the credits start rolling is I'm like, okay, wow. And then what happened? Right? Okay, like these two people who have struggled to like even just make a commitment, just confess their love, right? And so it's like, well, I mean, he finally said, I love you. So I guess all their problems are solved. Credits, you know what I mean? 
It's like, wow, she tricked him into marrying her. So all their problems are solved, right? And because I've lived enough life to know that that's not entirely true, I'm always like, I want to know, I want to see like the next phase of life. You know what I mean? Because it always seems that even though they've made a decision, there's still like a lot of unanswered questions. It seems like you guys still have a lot of stuff to work out. I'm glad that you made that commitment to one another. I'm glad that the wedding was beautiful. But also... Doesn't her mom still hate you? Okay, because that, that really, I don't feel like that that plot line was resolved. And also, one of you is going to have to move cross-country for the other person, right? And even if you figure out who, are there going to be some residual resentment issues about that? Also, you guys are still broke, okay? That was never resolved, okay? You're still broke. That's still going to be an issue. And then, okay, there's still that two and a half year period where you were kind of on a break, but like where you weren't you, it's kind of hard to, and there was a misunderstanding, which was kind of based on a lie, right? And then there was that time where he was like kind of with that other girl and like, I know you forgave him, but like, I feel like that might come up again. You know what I mean? Just the frustration or bitterness about that season and like there was no therapy. Like when are you guys gonna work that stuff out? How's that gonna work? And that's the stuff as the credits are rolling and my daughter's getting her third snack. That's usually what I'm wondering about. I want to see that. I want to see that part. Because that part doesn't often make it into movies, right? Our, our culture doesn't often put commitment on display, at least not in entertainment. Most movies, in fact, end with someone finally making a commitment, not following through on one. That's what the whole thing is building up towards, right? It's just like, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what my life should be about. And there's like, I know now. Credits, right? It's like, well, what happened after that, right? And oftentimes we don't get a chance to see that thing. A lot of our movies sort of crescendo with we we get to see the proposal and the wedding, but not like the actual day-to-day marriage, right? We get to see the moment where someone sort of figures out who they want to be and they declare their destiny, but we don't get to see the day-to-day painstaking process of them trying to become that person. And the only way that we do get to see, you know, commitment, at least in, in movie form, is in the form of a montage, right? Like, which is where we get to see, you know, 15 years of daily commitment sort of smashed in to, uh, you know, this, this sort of faded in scene of different things happening and them evolving over time uh, to a really sweet soundtrack, right? And I, I have been tricked by a montage because everything seems so much easier and enjoyable in a montage, right? When I watch a montage, I'm like, I could be an Olympic athlete. <laughs> it seems so easy. It took Rocky like 30 seconds. And look at, he's awesome. And remember, watch that. Like, that's one of the most famous ones, the, the Rocky montages. There's one in every Rocky movie, all 75 of them, right? This is from the first one, right? Where he gets up, he finally gets to the thin, he like runs up the stairs, he's like, yeah! And like, anybody ever watch like a montage like this and you watch somebody do something, you're like, I'm gonna do it. I saw a montage. It fired me up. And then you like, you decide to go out and you're like, I'm gonna do it. And you run halfway up your block and you're like, this is way harder than it was in the, man, I'm even playing Eye of the Tiger and it's not working. It's not doing what it should. Right? It doesn't feel the same way. We realize when we step into it that um, there's no way to fast forward through it. And that's sort of what we want. We, we don't really want to put in all the hard work day to day. We want the montage experience. We think like, how can I fast forward through all of this pain and just get to the payoff? But, you know, commitment 
isn't a montage. And for a lot of us, this is why we avoid it, because we know that. We've gotten a taste of it. Do you know what commitment actually is? This is a, this is a real, just true definition of commitment. Commitment is the resolve to stick with something, returning to and repeating the same monotonous task again and again, regardless of what other seemingly interesting or enjoyable options are available. Now, some of you have never seen it in writing before, but now that you do, right, you're just like, oh yeah, that's why I don't wanna do that. <laughs> that sounds horrible. I don't, wow, no. In fact, what I do is like I get excited about something and then I go into it and then I'm just like, ooh, that seems interesting and enjoyable and I just allow my ADD to take me, right? Sweep me right up into the next thing. Some of you like amen to that part, but you're, you're being nudged like, no, no, that's not the part. It's the other parts you're supposed to amen on about. Last week, we talked about this, this idea of, you know, how difficult it is, especially in a modern age where we have so many like endless options available to us, right? Where we are presented with so many different things that we could do and be and explore and experience in life that it becomes really difficult for us to choose like one path from infinity. And we're overwhelmed by this. And our, our indecision or infinite browsing mode often makes us miserable. But let's say that you are able to sort of overcome that giant obstacle. Like let's say that you're actually able to get to a place where you zero in on, I, I sort of have a picture of like who I wanna be and maybe what I wanna do and where I wanna go in life, maybe what the next phase or step or goal is for me. Um, that's great. Like, what do you do from there? Like, where do you go from there? Because becoming always involves doing. And so this becomes the question. If I have this goal um, or this thing that I want to become on the horizon, what do I do daily to get there? There's this really great piece of advice um, in the book of Ephesians just about like how to live a fulfilling life. It's, it's this letter that's written to early Christians. Um, and it says this, uh, his advice is, lead a life worthy of your calling. Now, he's specifically talking to Christians about what it means to be called to be like Christ, right? Which we believe is our, our general calling, right? We may have a specific calling like you are supposed to be a YouTube star. And every person under 16 is like, that's me. He's talking to me. Um, but we all have a general calling, right? This thing in which that we are all called to uh, to, to connect our lives to Christ and to trust in the sacrifice of Christ and to walk in the way or the path of Christ. Um, and he's saying, like, live a life worthy of that calling. But, um, you know, even beyond this, I think you can, you can broaden this out because regardless of what your calling is, if you want to achieve it, you have to live a life worthy of it. In other words, this is telling us to devote yourself daily to... Uh, do what the person you want to be does. And in fact, if you do it enough, you'll become that person. Now, maybe this is a specific person. Maybe this is just a, like, you envisioning your future self. Um, think of a, a calling as this sense of divine direction, right? Where sometimes we, we have this sense that, like, our personality and our interests and what we want to do and what we're good at and we're, what the world needs are all sort of converging and we're being pulled in a direction, right? This is a sense of, of calling, right? And let's say that you felt deeply called to be a chef, right? 
you would, you would sort of reflect in your mind of like, okay, what does a chef know and do? And if that's where you wanted to go, you would begin to uh, find a model for that and you would begin to emulate it. Um, you'd, you'd try and learn and practice and, and try and internalize all the things that a chef knows and does. And the more you practice it, the more you would begin to become who it is you want to be. So the question is, what is it that you want to be or do? Right? What is it that you feel called to in this coming year? And maybe for you, it's not like some grand career decision. Maybe for you, you're like, I don't know. It's like, I kind of, I feel called to, to lose weight. I mean, I'm not saying I want to. I'm saying I literally got a call from my doctor that was like, you need to lose some weight, buddy. Okay. Like seriously, these numbers off the charts, not in a good way. Okay. Um, you know, when I say you have high blood pressure, it's not like the higher the number, the bigger the score. You know what I mean? It's like, that's not how it works. These are supposed to be golf numbers. Okay. You want to get those low, right? Uh, maybe for you, it's this idea of like, man, I just want to, I feel sort of like stuck in my career and I want to move to the next level and I, I'm not really sure how to do it. Maybe for you, it's, it's that you want to be more generous this year. Um, you're just like, man, I, I feel like we I use a lot of our resources on just us and I, that's not super satisfying. I want to give more away and be more of service to other people. Maybe for you, it's you want to go deeper um, in your relationship with God. And the big question, once we've identified the, the, the what, is to try and figure out what is the how. And a lot of times we feel like we don't know how. But I want to ask you to reflect on something this morning, to be truly honest with yourself. What if it's not that you don't know how? What if it's that you don't like how? What if it's that you're pretending like you don't know how, because you don't want to have to do the how that's in front of you, right? You ever have that thing where you're like, I definitely want to be that, but I don't want to do this. <laughs> so how do I, can I skip over it? Is there a pill? I don't know how it works, right? I'm still researching. And I think a lot of times we don't do what we can do because we're sitting around sort of obsessing over maybe what we can't do. Because maybe we have in our head a way that we had hoped to get from where we are to where we want to be, and maybe that thing isn't something that is, is possible right now. I think sometimes we find ourselves stalling um, because we are, for a couple of reasons. One, because maybe we're holding out for an option that we already know is unavailable. You ever do that? You don't do the thing you can do because in your head you're like, listen, I'm going to get healthy. But um, I, on YouTube, I saw this documentary about... Um, Tom Brady. And like, what I feel like I need to really get in shape is like, he's got a chef and they're cooking like vegan options, but that look fatty. And so like, I want, I need that. And then like somebody like he has to wake them up early and like program something for like their, you know, your body type and like your goals. And, and like, you know, and they're kind of, they're with you, walking with you every step of the way and they're making it happen. And like, if I had that sort of life and that access and that thing, and it's like, if I had that, then I would do this, but I don't. And so um, I'm just going to go through Taco Bell again because it's like, what's the point? Right? It's like we, we're holding out for this thing of like, I'm going to commit once I get this, this access. But that access is not ever really going to be available to you because you are not Tom Brady. And your wife has been trying to tell you that for multiple years now. Okay. I'm just here to like pass that on to you. That's real. And sometimes it's not that at all. Sometimes it's that we're holding out for an option that we already know is unreasonable right? And maybe you have this personality where like you want to go from doing nothing to doing everything all of the sudden. 
You're like, I have never really, uh, I haven't gotten off my couch because I work from home now and I don't even know how long, it's, can you wear like sweatpants long enough where they like surgically become part of your body? Is that weird? Is that like, it becomes a part, like a second skin almost. And, but I'm going to, I'm going to get off the couch and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to run. I'm going to start with 15 miles a day, every single day. Right. And we get into it and it's just not because we have this idea that like, I want to get going. I want the results to be super fast. Okay. I saw that 0.1 percentile of people who follow this plan, right? They get these amazing results. And I'm probably in that category, not the other 99.9% of people, right? And so, and also like the first day I start, I had to feel different. I had to look different. Everyone ought to notice. And when it doesn't happen that way, we're like, this is stupid. This is ridiculous. And we abandon the commitment. And I think a lot of times it's, it's these, this obsession with these unavailable or unreasonable options that prevent us from actually accessing the options in front of us and, and making the real change that we need. And all of these things sort of add up to one big question, which is like, what if all the options available to you aren't anything you want to do? I mean, you want to get what they promise. You don't want to have to do that stuff. But what if like you, you actually had to design your future with what you have access to in the here and now? And the reason this is a great question is because a lot of times, this is exactly where we find ourselves, right? Uh, we get a glimpse of our calling, right? maybe our general calling just to know God, um, maybe a specific calling of like, we need to sort of move in this direction with our individual lives. Um, and we even make some plans about how we're going to do it. And we love the thing that we've designed. And we're like, man, I feel like I'm really going to be able to make it happen. And like you get going and like the first day or even before the first day, like everything falls apart. COVID hits, right? Like the person that you're going to partner with is like sick and in quarantine and going to be living in a bubble for a month. And you're just like, okay, well now what, right? That location closes, a relationship collapses, your schedule changes. And you just sort of find yourself thinking like, now what? Because that's, that is what I wanted. That is how I wanted to do it. That's the way I wanted it to be. And now I feel like I'm in a holding pattern. And if you have ever felt this way or maybe currently feel this way, I want you to know that you are not alone in this. Because in fact, there are more, uh, there are more stories inside of scripture about people who find themselves in this place than don't. And the reason why these stories, I think, find them their way into Scripture is because this is the, like how life works, right? Oftentimes, like who we want to become requires us to go through some circumstances and situations that we don't want to have to go through to become it. And so what do we do in these sets of circumstances? How do we commit when these aren't really the ideal circumstances to commit in? And to answer that, I want to go to one of these stories in particular. It's found in the book of Jeremiah, the 29th chapter. And I want to just pull some stuff out. This is something that was written to people a long time ago, but I think there's a lot in here that applies to us today. And essentially what's going on, to give you context in this book, is it's a story about these people who had made it a priority to make their lives about knowing and honoring God above all else. And they had this specific idea about what it was going to look like, and they got that idea. They felt like from... God. They have these rituals and these routines and these conditions that um, sort of maintaining their focused relationship on God was going to require of them. But there's a problem by the time we get to this book is that they don't have access to that stuff. 
Because these people had been conquered and yanked out of where they'd sort of set up their lives and their routines and their temple and everything that they had designed their life around. And they'd been brought to a different place and they'd been plopped down there in circumstances that they did not like, right? Where they're looking around and they're like, I don't like these people, okay? I don't like this place. I don't like these rhythms. I don't like the, 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 the rituals that these people have set up. I don't like the restrictions they place on us. Like, this is not what I had in mind. And of course, they became convinced that like, there's no way, God, that we can be who you want us to be here in the midst of this. Like, God, what we need you to do, we need you to get us out of here. We need you to move us from here to somewhere else because this is not working. God, if you are willing to change all of our circumstances, then we can finally get around to pursuing our calling. And they pleaded with God to pull them out, bring them to a different place, and basically organize the circumstances around them where it would be easy for them to do and be who they wanted to be. And in the midst of this, they get this reply from God. Jeremiah 29, verse 4, it says this. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives that he's exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Now, I love this opening, right? Because it's like, this is what the strongest, toughest army general in the whole world says to you about wanting to start a fight. And you're like, oh, I can't wait to see what he says. Build homes, plan to stay. What? Not the opener, right, that you were expecting. Like, I mean, what they wanted was like, dig a bomb shelter, get some canned vegetables. We are about to overthrow this place. But that's not what gets said. It says, build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have grandchildren. Multiply! Exclamation point. Very excited about the multiplication here. <laughs> Do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. And all the people are like, huh? What? Now, I know there's a lot going on here, but let me just decode this for you. Essentially, what he's saying is, you can begin becoming everything you're called to be where you already are with what you already have. And this is not what they wanted to hear. Because they thought, you know, when the conditions are right, then I'll commit. But that's not now, and it's definitely not here. I wonder if you've ever done this. I wonder if you have ever sort of summoned every imaginable excuse to delay devotion till later. You're just like, I mean, I would, but this is just, this part's boring. <laughs> and also, these people are too close-minded because they're too liberal or too conservative or whichever one you find most annoying, right? Nobody gets me, and everyone's fake, and there's no opportunities. And, like, the stuff that, like, that I'm being asked to do is not stuff on the level of, like, my knowledge, expertise. You know what I mean? Like, I shouldn't be, I should be doing something better, more impressive, more interesting. I, I, like, I should be getting more credit and respect, I mean, honestly, if God wanted me to tackle this issue or grow in this area or move in this direction, he'd make the entire process easy and effortless and enjoyable. I know God, he totally would. Would he? Listen to this. This is something that Jesus said 
about what it looks like to actually move down the path of becoming your best self. This is what he says, Luke chapter nine, verse 23. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily and follow me. That doesn't sound easy, effortless, or enjoyable at all. In other words, what he's, what he's saying to these people is, you're gonna have to build a regular rhythm of self-discipline to put God first in your life. And at times, that commitment is not going to be comfortable or enjoyable. And yet, the fulfillment that comes with it is ultimately what you're after. Now, I bring up this, this section of Jeremiah, which is a prophecy directed to other people in another time, another place. Um, and it's got a lot of specific things. But if you look at the specific things these people are being told to do, behind those things are some really brilliant big ideas about what, what we can do, what you and I can do in our present day to begin becoming who we're made to be in the here and now. And so I wanna just sort of like peel back um, these examples and get to the ideas below the surface. And I, I, if you don't write anything else down, write these things down because I think this is gonna help you move forward this next year to make the most of wherever you find yourself on the way to wherever you wanna go. The first thing he says to these people is build homes and plan to stay. Build homes and plan to stay. And uh, essentially what the, the idea behind this is invest yourself here as if you're not going anywhere. Invest yourself here as if you're not going anywhere. And of course, these people, their reaction to that is the same reaction that a lot of us would have right now. But I am going somewhere. I am not staying here, okay? Okay, this is like temporary, right? And what God is trying to get these people to understand is, but you haven't yet. You may be going somewhere later. I may even have told you to go somewhere else later, but you're still here now. And so don't waste so much time daydreaming about what might be next that you're not present enough now to give your best to where you're at. And the, the metaphor that, that, that sort of gets us to this idea is this idea of like renting. He doesn't want them to rent, right? He wants them to build homes. Renting is, is tentative, right? It's casual, it's non-committal. And this was the attitude of these people in these circumstances to sort of excuse pursuing their calling. Building a home, on the other hand, conveys a sense of commitment, investment, ownership. And maybe you are at a place in life or in a set of circumstances where you're like, these are much less than ideal. But a great question to ask yourself, to be real honest with yourself about, is like, have I ever actually given, like, given this my best shot? I think sometimes we, we step into a situation where we're like, this is not what I want, so I'm not gonna try. And then we're like, see, it didn't work. Well, did you ever really invest there as if you weren't gonna go anywhere? Did you really give it your very best in the moment? And aren't these the sort of people that we love? Like the people that no matter where they are, no matter where they find themselves in, even if it's just a moment, right? Even if it's just like a temporary stop, they're just like, I'm gonna give my best right here. I'm gonna enjoy it. I'm gonna learn something from it. I'm gonna engage with it. These are the sorts of people that actually find themselves getting to the place that's next on good footing. The second thing that, that God tells them is to plant gardens and eat the food they produce. And some of you are just excited because you're just like, I've been wanting to home garden. Does he also tell them to get chickens? I really wanna do that. But the idea behind this is to work to develop what you have now into what you want later. 
And that's really what he's telling them. Work to develop what you have now into what you want later. Because the issue was these people didn't have the food that they wanted available to them. Um, you know, Jews eat kosher. That's really not, like, wasn't easily accessible to them. And they didn't want the food that was available to them, but they also didn't want to have to work to grow their own. What a great metaphor to where a lot of us find ourselves in life, right? You ever been there? Like, I don't like the situation I'm in, but I also don't want to have to, like, you know, do anything to change it. But I'm real good at complaining. You're welcome, family and friends. And the idea here that, that God is expressing is, you know, if you're not eating well, get better at gardening. Like instead of, of, of passively waiting for the perfect thing to find you, how could you get busy in the here and now cultivating the knowledge and the character and the skill that will set you up for another opportunity later? Like where might you need to get your hands dirty? Like the people are looking at like, like we don't have food and God's like, you have seeds. Maybe just like lock in, plant that stuff get your hands dirty and do the work so that what you want is on its way. And they're like, ooh, I don't want to do that. Then he tells them this, um, marry and have children and then find spouses for them. This is where you got all excited about the multiplication, right? So what does this mean? Essentially what he's saying is cultivate relational intimacy inside your current community. Cultivate relational intimacy inside your current community. Like, they, they've already sort of decided, like, you know what, God, <laughs> these people are not my people. I don't like these people. There's nothing good about them. What I need to get to the next level in life is not found in any of these folks. So you need to bring some good options. And essentially what God is telling these people is, what if the best, like, friends and romantic options and accountability partners and career coaches and spiritual mentors for you are all within your reach right now. You've just never reached out. At the base, it's God telling these people, like, maybe it's time to let your guard down a little bit. Maybe it's time to sort of, like, break away from being so defensive and judgmental and fearful. Maybe it's time to put yourself out there. Maybe you might even have to be the one to make the first move. Don't wait for another time and another place and another crop of people to begin cultivating deep, meaningful, lasting relationships. Begin with the people in front of you right now. Then he tells them to work for the peace and prosperity of the city. And, and really the idea behind this uh, particular is aim your actions at making life better for more than just you. A lot of times we think that fulfillment is found in, in like passionately pursuing goals. And this is half true, right? Because the truth is individual goals are great, but communal goals are even better. Like pursuing things that actually will benefit not just you, but the people around you and even some people that are not even like you with your efforts. And sometimes we think that like, we wanna do this, but it has to be like a big thing, right? Like, we, we got to change a law, or we got to, like, rearrange this thing, or we got to, like, make this big splash in the news. But a lot of times, it's, like, something small and steady, right? Like, hey, let's lose weight together. You look chubby, you know? Maybe don't approach it that way. That's just me saying that to someone who asked me. They're like, let's lose weight together. I was like, I wasn't trying to lose weight, but um, I feel like I should, because you said that. I feel weird about me. 
right? Like maybe let's, the both of us, let's join this reading plan together and sort of hold each other accountable through like a little like text chain. Like let's both of us like, like let's be more generous this year than we've been in the past. Like what would it be like if we sort of arranged our finances and like let's just tell each other our actual numeric goal and just see, like egg each other on and see if we can get to that point because those are the sorts of people we wanna be. What would it look like for us to do something bigger than the both of us together? And this communal aspect of structuring our lives this way makes our goals more meaningful and achievable. It's more meaningful because we're doing it alongside other people and it's not just for us. And that selfless aspect sort of fuels our soul. But it's also more achievable because we're more likely to follow through on things and enjoy those things when we're doing them in conjunction with somebody else, not just by ourselves. And then he ends by telling them to pray for uh, the city, pray for its welfare. And essentially, the idea behind this is to ask God to meet the deep needs of those you disagree with. And the reason I say that is because these people disagreed with everyone in their city about pretty much everything. Maybe you're wondering like, okay, I get that. And Jesus seems to say this a lot, which is really annoying, right? It makes it hard to ignore. He's always like, pray for your enemies. And you're like, "Mm, cross that one out. But it comes up over and over again. And again, this is rooted in the Old Testament, not just the words of Jesus in the new. And, you know, essentially what he's, he's saying is, do you ever feel like the thing that's standing between you and who you want to be or what you want to do? Like there's, it's a person. Like some, it's not something that's in your way. Someone is in your way. And you can point out exactly who it is. I'll give you their cell and address. Like I know, like, and maybe it's intentionally, maybe it's, you know, sort of unintentionally, maybe it's local, maybe it's, it's more at a distance. And, and two things that he's really telling them in this moment, he's like, first of all, start anyway. Like, like if you have to have everybody on board with you before you do what God has called you to do, you're never gonna do anything. But secondly, what he's trying to get them to understand is the way people treat you um, is, it, it's more of a commentary about them than it is about you. And, you know, often what is going on between the two of you isn't about the thing itself. It's about some unmet need deep below the surface. And so he's saying like, instead of like hating them and fighting them, invite God to give you compassion for them and then pray that God would meet their deeper needs below the surface. The needs that being unmet is driving sort of crazy behavior. I mean, think of all the crazy things you've done because you had an unmet need in your life. And once that thing was sort of taken care of, it was like, I was being crazy. But if someone would have called you crazy back there, you would have shanked them. You know what I mean? (laughs) You had no awareness of that thing. And God's like, man, see below the surface and pray for those people. Because like, you know, get started without them, but pray that God would give them what they need, whatever that thing is. And as you can imagine, none of these people wanted to hear any of these things. Because it's probably not what you want to hear. It's definitely not what I want to hear. Why? I think because we have this little um, mechanism inside of all of us. We, we, we daydream about a different life to avoid dealing with the difficulties of our actual life. Like, I don't want to actually have to do what I need to do to move forward. I would rather just sort of daydream about like, well, I mean, like, maybe someday and this, ah, man, if I had this unavailable thing, right? Maybe if I could do this unreasonable thing. And we avoid actually taking the next step in front of us in the way God is asking us. 
Because that stuff sounds like real work. The question is, like, how much responsibility are you going to take for your story? Like, will you commit to bettering your circumstances and allowing them to better you, or will you blame them for not being what you wanted? Because that's really what God is saying to these people. They're like, God, you got to get us out. You got to change the situation or else we're never going to be who you wanted us to be. And we're going to be sad and disappointed our whole lives. And that's on you, God. And God is like, not really. You're waiting on me, but I'm waiting on you because I've already told you what to do. I've placed you where you are, even though it's not where you want to be. Are you going to allow those circumstances to grow and evolve and and push you forward? And are you going to take responsibility to grow your circumstances and change and shift the things you don't like? Or are you just going to stay in a holding pattern, blaming everything and everyone else for being stuck? And the whole prophecy is essentially saying, like, don't blame your less than perfect environment for your lack of engagement. And then after all that, um, you know, God, through the prophet Jeremiah, says the, one of the most famous passage in maybe the whole Bible. Uh, it's definitely the most famous passage in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29, 11. Some of you have this embroidered on a pillow. <laughs> for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. And these words are for you, and you can claim them, grab hold of them, but you need to understand the context in order to, to get what the fullness of their meaning. Because when you apply this idea in conjunction with the other ideas that come before it, what is being said here is that, you know, what God is able to do in you has a lot to do with your willingness to commit to the people, places, and processes he put in front of you, even though they're not perfect. And a lot of times we want to just like, we want to segment off the verse and just grab hold of that and discount the rest. God has plans for me. And that's why I'm just, I'm in a standstill and I'm just here, you know, complaining and posting because like, listen, God is going to do it and he's going to prosper me and he's going to do all that. But this is a conditional promise, right? This is God saying like, listen, I have all sorts of things I want to do. Like that, that sense of calling that you have, it didn't just drop out of nowhere. I put it there for a purpose. But for you to grab hold of it is going to require a couple of things. One, it's going to require me to do some things you cannot do on your own. But two, it's going to require you to do some things that you can do that you're stalling, making excuses not to have to do. I have put you with the people around you. I have put you in the place that you find yourself. And I have uh, put these processes in front of you to discipline and disciple you, to take you in the direction that you need to go. You see, what will make or break your story won't be some singular bold moment. It's not gonna be like this big movie wedding moment. It's not gonna be an epic speech or a packed rally or a tweetable takedown because the reality is real transformation takes a long time and requires that we put in a lot of work when no one is watching. It doesn't look like a soundtrack, you know, swell right before the credits. It looks like long-suffering scenes of commitment that often are so uninteresting, they don't even make the final cut. In fact, I would summarize everything that God is trying to tell these people that they don't want to hear 
that I think that you and I need to hear today in this way. He's essentially telling them, listen, I get it, but start now, step small, stay consistent. Some of you are like, why don't you just say that at the beginning? We don't have to listen to all this other stuff. <laughs> Much like life, I think we gotta go through it in order to get to the lesson at the end of it. What if whatever it was that you were being called to today, what if you decided that you're gonna start now, that you're gonna step small, that you're gonna stay consistent? He has the power to change everything. What if you stopped waiting for everything to be perfect and just got moving in the direction that God was pointing you? And what if you just took the first small step and you just practiced that little intentional commitment over and over again? What might happen to you? And if your big priority is the one that Jesus calls us all to, the one that we spent so much time talking about last week, this idea of, of, of prioritizing your connection with Christ above everything else in your life, what I would encourage you to do is to pick a few simple spiritual disciplines to plug them into your schedule, to repeat them regularly, and to keep that up for the next six months and see what happens in your life. Maybe you're wondering like, well, which, which ones? Well, also, what are spiritual disciplines? What are you talking about? And if you have these questions, you're gonna to need to be here the next three weeks because that's what we're gonna talk about. We're gonna, we're gonna peel apart and dissect the, the 12 core spiritual disciplines and we're going to give you a path of how to apply these things, even if you've never done them before. You don't have to do all 12, but here's the thing. It's more of a menu. Pick something small. Start now. Step small incrementally and stay consistent with these things. We're gonna give you all the tools you need in the next few weeks to uh, deepen the journey that you're on with Jesus more than it ever has been before. But you're gonna have to do more than listen and learn about these things. You're gonna have to commit to them. You're gonna have to do more than sample and scroll. You're gonna have to like and subscribe. The commitment isn't always easy. It's not always enjoyable. It's not always the most entertaining, but it is the most fulfilling. And fulfillment is what we're after. And that's my hope and prayer for you today, that God would give you the courage to prioritize what honestly is most important and to begin practicing that prioritization in your life right now in small and consistent ways because that is the key to your best year yet. Would you bow your heads with me across this room? I wanna pray this into your life today. God, thank you so much for each of these folks that are here. Thank you for everyone that is tuning in online or over our podcast. Um, God, I thank you for the life that you've given us. And God, I thank you for the way in which you show us how to live life to the full, how to get the most out of our existence. And God, thank you for the way you hold a mirror up to who we really are and how we're stalling in the way that we can stop standing in our own way. God, I pray that we would do the things that only we can do so that we empower you and release you to do the things that only you can do with the seeds that we plant and water and cultivate in our day-to-day -day life. May you bring supernatural growth and maturity and prosperity into our lives because we have submitted to the people, the places, and the processes that you've called us into right here and right now, it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. 
To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless. Thank you.